be seated. And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. about a few things regarding a miracle in the book of Acts. This morning, in our regular sermon, we're going to be looking in the book of Acts chapter 4, and we're going to be talking about Peter and John. And I wanted to talk to you about some of the uh, occasion of why we're going to talk about them. Do you remember what took place in the beginning of the book of Acts? The disciples were sorrowful. They were sad because Jesus had what? He left. He went into heaven. He was no longer with them. This was Jesus whom they loved. Jesus who had risen from the dead. We celebrated that when? Easter. And when was that? Last week. It was just a week ago. Last week. And in Acts chapter 3, a man was healed. A man who was at least 40 years old. And he was healed. He had been lame since he was born. And this man was healed. Peter and John saw the man as they were walking through the gate, going to the temple. And they looked over at the man. And Peter, looking at him in the face, said, Silver and gold have I none. Because that was his life. He sat there every day, waiting every day. Will somebody notice me? Will they give me just a little bit of money that I can have some dignity to be able to buy some food? Will somebody have pity on me? And Peter looks at the man and says, Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise, stand up, and walk. And this man, who never knew what it was like to take one step, got up and walked. And it says that he was leaping and jumping and praising God, and he ran with Peter and John into the temple, and he was clinging to them. And I want to ask you, this is significant and important, why do you suppose that this miracle took place? Was it so that the people would know that Peter and John were the authorities in the church, that they were people who others should look up to? In fact, if you look in your Bible, if you have a Bible with you today, look in the table of contents. You'll see there are two books with his name, First Peter and Second Peter. So why were these miracles, why were they done in the book of Acts? Why was this lame man healed? Any ideas? I think certainly so that he would know what it's like to walk. So that he would experience the glory of God's power in his life. But more importantly, this man experienced this miracle. And the people saw it. The people who were in the temple saw this man. And they experienced watching him walk for the first time. So that they would be witnesses. So that Peter and John would be witnesses to the power of God. Because as the people at church that day were amazed... How can this man who we've walked past every day coming to church, how is it that this man who was unclean is now in here and he's touching Peter and John? How in the world is it possible that he can be in here? And so when Peter and John saw the people looking at them amazed, they said, do you really think it was by our power or godliness that this man walks before you? And they said, we are witnesses this day in your presence that it was by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that this was done. 
So if you, I want to ask you again, why was this man healed? So that they might be witnesses to the power of God. So that they might say it was by Jesus that this was done. Jesus who the people crucified. Jesus who the people hated. Jesus who they thought they could kill. This Jesus who rose from the dead who is now in heaven. We're telling you, Peter and John say, that He is God. He is the living God. So I want to encourage you this morning for you to think about it this way. That you are also witnesses to the power of God. Witnesses to His power in your life. Maybe you weren't lame and you stood up and walked. But Jesus does something in the hearts of all of His people. He takes out a heart of stone that hates God and gives them a heart of flesh that loves Him and that desires to walk in His ways. You say, well, I'm, I'm not a miracle. Absolutely you are. If you love the Lord Jesus, if you desire to be with Him, that's not a desire of your own. He put it there. He gave you a heart for Him that you might be a witness for Him. So I'm going to pray for you now, okay? Father, I thank You for our covenant children. I thank You for their desire to know You and to love You and to walk in Your ways. And Lord, I pray for them as they think about their own profession of faith, whether they have made that profession or whether it is one to come. I pray, Lord, that You would help them to hear the promises and believe that they are theirs. I pray, Lord, that You would give them great faith as Peter and John had in You, that they proclaim the truth that Jesus resurrected from the dead, that He has ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority, glory and majesty. And Lord, I pray for our covenant children that they would walk in faith with You, that You would give them boldness to speak when they should, when they should speak up about the hope that is in them. And I pray, Lord, that You would help them to never wonder about whether they're old enough to tell others about Jesus, that they would delight to do it even at a young age now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading Psalm 125. It's on page 832 in your green hymnal. Psalm 125 on page 832. I'll begin with the light uh, portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, who cannot be shaken, but endures forever. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. Peace be upon Israel. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and sing hymn number 347, The Church's One Foundation.
You may be seated. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to pray specifically through a passage in Philippians chapter 3 for our church family. One of the privileges that we have as God's people is to pray for one another. And I want to encourage you, as you think about praying for one another, um, that as you think about people praying for you, that you would know on Thursday morning there is a group of your church family who meets here at the church at 645. And one of the things that we do is to pray for you, our church family. We lift up one another in prayer, certainly, for personal requests. But we also pray that the Lord would watch over and care for you, that He would hold you up by faith, that you would have an experience even in those moments early on a Thursday morning of God's grace in your lives. And we prayed this past Thursday that the Lord would give you great discernment. Discernment to know the will of God, to follow Him, and also by the Holy Spirit to give you power to walk with Him. So I want to pray these words over our church family this morning and for myself as well from Philippians chapter 3. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that You would help us as Your people. We are desperate in need of Your grace. And as we prayed this past Thursday, I pray this morning that You would, by Your Spirit, give us grace indeed to be able to discern the truth. I pray that for our young people especially, for our children, for our teenagers, for those who are newly in the workforce, to know the truth and to walk in it, that by grace they would follow You. They would obey Your Spirit in them and not follow the ways of this world. Lord, I think about these words from Philippians chapter 3 and I pray that You would encourage our church family as we think about them. That these are not just nice words that the Apostle Paul wrote, but these words are a prayer that God's people would walk with You. Paul said, I indeed count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ I pray, Lord, for discernment for God's people that they would know what things to let go of. That they would know what things in this life are things that they should count as rubbish for the sake of knowing You. I pray that You would give them great discernment as they think about what things to pick up as they start their work week tomorrow. That they would know what things they are to do and what things they are to lay aside. Give them great wisdom and trust in You. Lord, I pray that they would say with Paul that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And that their hearts would ache, that they would cry in their own quiet time, that they would cry out to You that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Lord, I pray these words for my church family. I pray these words for myself, that we would know You. That You would give us the grace to walk with You. You promised to leave us and never to forsake us. And I pray, Lord, that in the power of the Spirit, that even now, our wills would be conformed to Yours. That our desires, though they may not be sinful, but they may not be the best for us. I pray that You would give us Your desires for us. 
That we would walk in your ways, that we would obey, that we would speak when we should, that we would be silent when we should, and that we would most of all glorify you in everything that is done and said. And Lord, I pray for our church family and particularly for those who are going through difficult trials at this time, whether it be their physical health, financial struggles, family, relational struggles, or even other relationship struggles. I pray for our church family that they would know and be encouraged to know that there are those in our church family who lift them up in prayer, who take them to the throne of grace and ask that you would give them mercy to help in time of need. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the fellowship of this church family. And we thank you and praise you for your spirit that you promise that you would give to us as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.
want to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to take just one brief week of a side from the book of Titus, and I want to look at um, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. I want to look at how Peter and John spoke as they were brought before the council, how they answered and gave testimony as they were required to after having been thrown in prison overnight for what they said and the things that they did. Acts chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Perhaps as you thought about Easter this past week, maybe in your own devotions you read through some of the occurrences of what took place as the people left in excitement. As I thought about this particular passage and thought about this the first Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, I thought, what not a better way to think about one of Jesus' disciples and one to whom He had given an incredible trust of responsibility. I hope that you see in today's sermon the beauty of witness for the sake of Jesus Christ. But I hope that you also see the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ on display. As we look at this passage, I want to do so under three headings this morning. First, a courageous witness... Secondly, a failed test. And number three, a gracious Savior. So number one, a courageous witness. Jesus had promised to His disciples that He would send the Holy Spirit to them. He promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 that the disciples would be His witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. He promised that He would send His Holy Spirit to them in John chapter 14, that He would guide them into truth. He would be a comforter to them and a near brother. He also promised them that adversity was coming. In John chapter 15, he said, if they hated me, they will hate you. And so in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, he says, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you, will teach you what you ought to say. And then in Luke chapter 21, in verses 12 through 15, he tells the disciples, you are going to be delivered up. There will be people who take you to the authorities And I want to ask you now not to meditate on the things that you will say, 
Because the Holy Spirit whom I send to you, He will teach you what you ought to say even in those moments. So when Peter and John are standing before the council, I hope that you see and hear that these were not the words of an amazing orator. These were not the words or the sayings of someone who was defiant against a church government that was against the Lord Jesus. These are the words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit in one of His people in fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave to His disciples. They gave glory to God when people wondered who was it that healed this lame man, this man who for 40 years had never been able to walk. Peter says very clearly, it was not me, don't look at me. It wasn't my godliness or my power that did it. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was by Him that this crippled man walks. He reminds the people of their own sinfulness. He says, you should repent of your sins that you might receive healing from God. And he's not talking about physical healing. He's not talking about things that maybe others could see in them. He's talking about their spiritual need before the living God. And it's helpful to remember that they believed Jesus was coming back very soon. He told them, I am coming. And I will take you to myself. And so with urgency, Peter is telling them, repent that your sins might be forgiven. In Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He calls them to repent. It is the call and still the requirement of God's people to say today, repent of your sins. Walk before the Lord in holiness and righteousness. And so as their own trial... They give a courageous witness. Peter gives a courageous answer to the questions and he even preempts. He says, if we are on trial today, if we are being asked by what power or by what name, if this is why we're being examined, then I want you to know that it is by the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom you crucified, the one that you killed. This is the man who rose this man up, who's able to walk. Let it be known today in all of Israel. I don't want this to be a quiet thing. It's not something that we did in a corner. I want you to be sure. It was Jesus of Nazareth that healed this man. It was Jesus who rose from the dead, the one who we look for, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone, the Lord Jesus, that you, the builders, rejected. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the head of the church. He is the church's one foundation. There is salvation in no one else. Else, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter gave a very exclusive gospel. He told it very plainly to them. There's no other way to be saved. And it says that the people marveled at Peter and John. And when it says that they were ordinary, unschooled men, I imagine some of you young people might be scratching your heads and thinking, well, okay, if it was good enough for Peter and John to be ordinary, unschooled men, maybe it's okay that I don't apply myself too much to school. And before you say that, I want to say, this was not a compliment. This was, this was a, a jab. This was a punch. They're ordinary, unschooled men. It meant they don't even know their letters. And you might remember that this same kind of response was given by the people in John chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. It says there that the people marveled because Jesus was one who had never studied. And yet he spoke as one who had authority. He was able to hold a conversation. He was actually able to speak and the authorities didn't know what to say so they stayed quiet. 
The same thing is happening here in Acts chapter 4. The people marveled as they heard Peter speak. The council was astonished and quieted. He was filled with abandon and boldness. He was so strong and so secure. He had no hesitation and he was free in his proclamation. But there's something else that I didn't tell you about what Jesus promised. And particularly something that he promised to Peter. And I think this is very helpful and important to us as we think about the day that we live in. And maybe even as you think about yourself and your own witness of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, and particularly where He has placed you. As you think about the sovereignty of God, there is no mistake that God has placed you exactly where you are. The people that you will see tomorrow and rub shoulders with, they are exactly the people that the Lord Jesus Christ places in your life. He makes no mistakes. And one of the things that Jesus promised to Peter was that he would see and walk through the full frontal assault of the kingdom of darkness. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered, some say Elijah, some say the prophet, some say John the Baptist. And then he looked at his disciples, and he looked at Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but God has. And I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Do you remember what the next phrase is that Jesus said? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. One of my favorite things that I remember hearing this passage preached about was that gates are for defending. Gates are for defending. Gates are not for taking offensive action. Gates are for keeping things out. Jesus is saying the gates of hell will not prevail against the spread of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom. Jesus was telling Peter, you are going to be provoked to deny the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are going to be provoked to deny the power of the Lord Jesus, the authority of the Lord Jesus. The only way they can force your submission is through death. I'm telling you, Peter, something terrible is about to happen in your life. It's coming. I want to ask you about courage. What do you think about courage today? And I want to share a quote with you from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. A chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. You remember that? Pilate was merciful with Jesus. He was kind of indifferent. This man's done nothing, so he sent Jesus back to the people. The people demanded it. And so his mercy made it risky for him with his superiors. So he said, no, I'll let them have what they want. Mercy on his part was conditional. Once he got pushed, I want to ask you about courage. Was Peter courageous? He absolutely was. But was it of himself? No, I don't believe it was. He did endure a full frontal assault from the enemies of the kingdom of God. And I want to look for just a few moments this morning at a failed test in the life of Peter that I think because of the sorrows of that test and because of the sorrows of his failure, 
He was willing when he went before the council to say everything that he did, not because he was a great preacher and not because he was a great Christian, but because he saw in the face of the Lord Jesus sorrow after he failed a test. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said these words, Matthew 10 verses 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You hear those words. Certainly, Peter would have heard those words. It sounds pretty matter-of-fact and pretty, pretty solid. If you deny Jesus before people, He will deny you before His Father in heaven. And then in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and following, Jesus says, Simon, Simon. He says His name twice. Get His attention. Maybe He was a little bit distracted. Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And Peter, ever ready to give an answer, says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says again, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you even know me. This was an incredible test that Peter was about to undergo. Then later in Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 62, Peter does deny Jesus three times. And as he was giving his last denial, the third time, someone said to him, you were with this man. I know that you're one of the Galileans who followed him. And he says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And it says immediately as he was speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned across from the court that he was in. And he looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly. I cannot imagine what that look was like. There's the Lord Jesus about to be crucified on a cross for his people. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that Peter would, would say, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll go to prison with you. I'll, I'll go to death with you. And he knew that in just a very short while, even after failing to stay awake and pray with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter would deny Jesus three times from a distance. He would separate himself from the Lord Jesus in the darkest, worst hour of his life. After Jesus had been betrayed by Judas, one of his own, one of his beloved disciples, doesn't even say he knows him. I don't even know you. I want to ask you, dear believer, do you have categories for that kind of testing in your life? Do you have a category for that kind of trial in your life? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to read you some words that the Apostle Paul says about some of the trials in his own life. 2 Peter chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yet we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivers us up from so great a death, and does deliver us, 
in whom we trust that He will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us. Do you have categories for this kind of testing in your life? Do you have this kind of testing in mind when you think about praying for brothers and sisters in the faith? Do you have this kind of testing in your mind when you pray before your day begins? Perhaps Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. It is an interesting thing to consider and think about. There's only one other place that I can remember in the Bible where it seems that someone asked God for one of his people. Do you remember who it was? Job. Job. And so here, the Lord Jesus tells Peter something. He, Satan, has asked to sift you like wheat. But there's something significant here. He says, I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. And so when you look at this life of Peter, you look at this scenario, Jesus' prayers must have failed. He gave in. He denied Jesus three times. And one of the people that he denied Jesus to was a little girl, it says. Are you kidding? This is one of the rocks of the church. Upon this rock I will build my church. And he can't give a defense in front of a little girl at a fire in the middle of the night. And this man is supposed to be entrusted with growing the church. Did he fail this test? Are you failing the test? Or have you already? When God sovereignly allows affliction, and I believe this was an affliction that the Lord Jesus brought into Peter's life. When God sovereignly allows affliction to shake up your life, remember that He has designed that very trial for you to draw closer to Him and rely more fully on Him. And as you learn to rely on Him more and more, His strength will shine through your weakness and you will know true spiritual power even through the pain. I believe that there is a certain kind of faith and trust and hope in God that only comes after the result of pain and anguish and sometimes spiritual failure. And it's evidenced here in Peter's life. He failed the test. And I go back to those words that Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 10. And the part of me that is kind of a type A'er that says, okay, well, he failed. He failed. He denied you before men. Are you going to deny him before your father? And one of the things that you see in the Gospels is that he doesn't. And I wonder if some of you believe, I have failed my Savior. And so now I get second best in the kingdom. I will coast through life. But I'm no longer worthy of the promises that Jesus gave. I get second best. I get the crumbs on the table that even that that fall off the table that even the dogs get to eat under the master's table. But I don't get to follow him. I have to be at a distance now. But we serve a gracious Savior. And so did Peter. And I want you to see what Jesus did for Peter. Not because of Peter. I believe it is because of His grace and because of who He is. In Mark chapter 16, verses 5 and 8, when the ladies went to the tomb and there was a man sitting inside and it says that the the clothes were laid there and the cloth that covered Jesus' face was folded and laying there. It was significant. It meant that somebody hadn't come and taken the body of Jesus. They were laid there properly as they should have been. It says that the angel said, go and tell his disciples, Jesus' disciples. And then there's a little aside. 
and Peter. That He is going before you in Galilee. There you will see Him. As He said to you, you would. Then in Luke chapter 24, verse 34, those who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus and they were restored to their faith. They thought Jesus was gone. And they asked Jesus, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? And so Jesus stops and has a meal with them that night. And after they had been with Jesus, and after He explained the Scriptures to them, it says that their hearts burned, and they left immediately and went all the way back to Jerusalem. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed, and He has appeared to Simon. Why would He say that? Why would that be recorded in the Gospels? Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5, the Apostle Paul wrote, and he's giving the... Basically, the the understanding of according to the Scriptures, all of these things had to happen. And he says, and that he was seen by Cephas and then the twelve. Cephas being Peter. In John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, do you remember what happened when Jesus went to those Peter and the disciples? Peter said, I'm going fishing. Why was Peter going fishing? Because that's what he did. He said, I'm going fishing. So he went fishing, they caught nothing. Jesus walks by and says, cast the net on the other side. And the net was so full that they couldn't even pull it up. And John looks over at Peter and says, it's the Master. And Peter does something very odd. He puts his coat back on and jumps in the water. You would think he would throw his coat off, but he had taken his coat off. He was doing his work. He puts his coat back on and jumps in the water. I want to be with Jesus. I've got to get over there. And so Jesus is there. He's made a breakfast for them. And they sit together. They have the meal. And it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, that no one dared ask Him, Who are you? Because they knew it was Him. But yet there was something in there, in them that doubted. Maybe it's not really Him, but it was. And it says, After the breakfast, Jesus looked over at Peter. And He asked him three times, Do you love Me? And I don't think it's a coincidence that... Peter had denied Jesus three times. I don't think it's a coincidence that he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? But notice he says, feed my sheep each time. Take care of my lambs. Watch over my people. It was exactly what Jesus had told Peter he was to do. He says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. He's asking him, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Encourage your brothers. Encouraged by people, the church. But I have to ask you, why does Jesus do this for Peter? Why does the New Testament seem to emphasize this in Peter's life? That the risen Lord appeared to Peter. Why is that significant? It's certainly not because Peter deserved it more than anybody else. Actually, he did things to undeserve this. It's fair to wonder though if Jesus appeared to Peter because he needed it more than anybody else. Peter knew he had blown it completely. And yet while he had denied Jesus, Jesus didn't deny Peter. What mercy, what goodness, what kindness, what love, what faithfulness and compassion that Jesus still chose to go to the cross knowing that this flawed disciple of His would fail Him. Peter did fail. He he didn't pass the test. And you know, all of us are there. We're all Peter. We've all stumbled. We've denied Him. We've deserted Him at different times. And we've staggered. When we should have spoken. 
We know that we don't deserve for God to come to us. And yet, as we go to God's word and we open the living word of truth, it's almost as if Jesus comes and sits down beside us. And says, I'm here. I want to speak to you. I want to assure you of my love. I do want to forgive you of your sins. I want to send you out in my power to be my witnesses, to speak the truth. Peter didn't deserve the compassion he received from Jesus, and neither do you or I. It was a special gift. Our failures show us time and time again that we are far from being worthy of God's grace, but in His mercy, He's pleased to give it to us anyway. And then He gives us more. He's that kind of Savior. And you and I, like Peter, get to be His beloved disciple. I want to share a verse that we read from a song last last week on Thursday at our Monday Thursday service. We sang a song, Man of Sorrows, what a name. This is verse 1. Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's you and me. Ruined sinners to reclaim. He came and reclaimed Peter after he had failed. Do you believe that you failed, that you are beyond being used by God? I've sinned too much. Somebody else has to speak for Him. Somebody else has to witness for Him. Are there places in your life where you should be speaking and you're not? Where you're silent and you shouldn't be? Is there a stand that you must take for the truth? Whether it's in your family, in your work, in the church. Where are you silent and you shouldn't be? Because you believe you've been disqualified because of your sin. The Lord Jesus says He qualifies you because of Him and not because of you. Are you an ordinary, unschooled person according to what the authorities might say? Then praise the Lord. That's exactly the kind of people that Jesus uses in His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the hope that we have in the Gospel. And I thank You for the truth that we have looked at and read this morning. That You, Lord Jesus, are the church's one foundation. It's not in a personality or a preacher or in perfect disciples. It is in You, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that You are the one who qualifies us from start to finish. You bring us into the kingdom. You help us to endure sufferings and hardships for the sake of the kingdom. And You cause us to walk in Your ways. And even the Apostle Peter knew this as he told the people in 1 Peter chapter 5 that they should humble themselves before You. That after a little while of trials and suffering, that you, Lord Jesus, would confirm, restore, and strengthen them. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do that for your people. That you would confirm those who are weak, who see their failures more than they see you. That you would restore and strengthen those who have been beaten and battered by the trials of this life. And that you would cause them to speak with joy and delight because of what you have done in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to speak when we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word by singing hymn number 585, Take My Life and Let It Be.
seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. heaven we thank you for the privilege that we have this morning to give back to you a portion of how you have so richly blessed us to give to you our tithes and our offerings we pray lord that you would use them for the spread of the name of the lord jesus christ throughout our neighborhood throughout our church family throughout our state our nation and this world we pray lord that you would do this for your glory alone that the lord jesus christ might be lifted up in jesus name i pray amen the benediction of our Lord from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Amen.